You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Tremendous Leadership Leaders on Leadership podcast, where we pull back the curtain on leadership and talk with leaders of all ages and stages about what it takes to truly pay the price of leadership. And today, I am so excited to introduce you to my new friend, my new brother in Christ, and my new acquaintance, Darren Gray. Darren, welcome. Hello, Dr. Tracy. Great to be with you today. Thank you. And I always love to introduce how I connected. And it's Manthorn is how we say his last name. Tremendous Scott. Like a month ago, I connected with him from somebody else on a military effect book. And of course, he says, that's what tremendous people do, right? The people you meet, the books you read, immediately connected with, with Darren. I sent him an email back. Darren called me right away and got on my podcast within a week. Let me tell you a little bit about this tremendous individual you're going to learn from today. So Darren Gray, Darren is an influencer. He is an author and he is a sports media producer who guides notable campaigns, including the NFL sanctioned SuperBowlBreakfast.com, the Bart Starr Award, and the live stream Indianapolis he gets us.com campaign, which I know a lot of our listeners who are avid football fans have seen a lot of those He Gets Us campaigns and more. So Darren maintains an influential network of NFL players, coaches, and alumni, and his expertise includes sponsorship, sports media, sports ministry, I love this, mass mentoring fatherhood projects, including All Pro Dad, And Darren also co-authored The Jersey Effect, Beyond the World Championship, which is about Tony Dungy's Super Bowl team win. And we love, the Tremendous Leadership family loves Tony Dungy's. Darren, again, welcome. We are just so thankful for your time, especially in coming up on Super Bowl season. I want to hear so much more about that. But let's get right into talking about what it takes to pay the price of leadership, brothers. The first price, my father wrote this speech many years ago about what it takes to pay the price of leadership. He lists four things. First is loneliness. And we have all heard that statement. It's lonely at the top. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. We know Jesus experienced times of loneliness. Can you unpack for our listeners, Darren, what loneliness has looked like for you throughout the seasons of your life? And perhaps if we have some listeners out there that are in a season, maybe some words of instruction or exhortation that you can give to them. First of all, thank you for having me and grafting me into the family that's willing to think about really meaningful things, like how shall we lead in the midst of a world that's scattered and tossed, media fragmentation, all of the things that make our world a little complicated right now, and how can we bring truth in the midst of the chaos How can we keep a pace about what we're doing toward our calling, but be at peace while we're doing it? Pace and peace are sometimes seem like they're two different things, like they're oxymoronic. But in my life, I try to practice both. Move at a pace in any given day. I'll have 40 to 50 interactions with people, right? Digitally, in person, podcast, media. And yet, as I produce these sort of NFL-sanctioned programs, I want to make sure that I leave space for what I call the ministry of availability. Make myself available for people. Sometimes people call this the ministry of presence. In other words, I'm willing to be present in your life, in your journey, in your loneliness, 
And hey, isn't it interesting that we're both a little less lonely Mm -hmm. after we do that? Because it is sometimes lonely at the top of these projects when you don't have anyone else to look to aside from the Lord for, for the answers. And you're constantly in discernment as it relates to what business moves that we should make in order to advance the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. And it's because most of my work from the He Gets His campaign, the Super Bowl breakfast, the NBA All-Star breakfast, and the NCAA Wooden Keys to Life event, all of those are about guiding people closer to a relationship with Christ. But if we say that up front and say, hey, you want to be a Jesus follower, a lot of people on this podcast may be, hey, that's great. But in the world, there are lots of people that what we call and, and designated as spiritually open skeptics. In other words, they're skeptical about the divinity of who Jesus was and the virgin birth and all these things that are a little quizzical to people that didn't grow up in the church. And yet they're open. They have a God-sized hole. They know that they experience loneliness. They know they feel far from whatever a spiritual source, sometimes called the higher power or something. But they know that if there isn't something more, then what is the purpose of all this anyway? And why are we even toiling? Let's make a lot of money. Let's be merry. And then we die. And it's like most of America, all but 17, which are just, they just don't, they're just antithetical to what Christ was and is. And, and that's okay. They Everyone is okay to have, it's not my job to do the saving, but it's my job to position who I am in Christ each and every day in the things that I do, the podcast that I participate in, et cetera, so that people might be drawn a little closer to ask me why. Why do I care about God? Who am I? And I know those are the kind of things that we're going to talk about today as we consider what leadership is. We'll call it kingdom leadership today as we think about what we're doing to draw people a little closer to Christ. I'm not sure I answered your loneliness. You did. I love that. And you called it the ministry of availability. And I love that. My father always told me that too. When people say I'm lonely and I'm like, who are you interacting with? No one. And I'm like, this this could be an issue. But when you are pouring into others, what is it Ken Blanchard said or Zig Ziglar said, the best way to get what you want is to help another enough other people get what you want. Right. Serving is the best gift of all because it it doesn't diminish. But so you meet with all these people. Do you ever feel lonely, Darren? Do you ever walk in a season of that? Because I know you're so busy and you're pouring, but how do you handle it? Yeah, not that often. Yeah. What I've done a really good job of doing is finding places where I can be dialogic. What that means is I can dialogue through interaction with another. I can get filled up. I can learn about myself and I can also help them solve their deepest problems, their deepest needs. And so I am constantly seeking out and finding places that are beyond the superficialities of modern culture. See, most people, hey, what about the big game? And so funny, I barely watch college confession from a sports ministry guy. I barely watch college football. I watch a little pro sports, but never baseball. Very rarely NBA. I do follow the NFL pretty closely. But I say all that to say that I try to leap over who's winning and who's losing in the leagues and really get deeper down into what shall we do together to make ourselves better today. And I don't experience a ton of loneliness. It's probably the opposite if perhaps I'll land the plane here, something like 
sensory overload being spread thin, which you addressed earlier because of the pace that I keep wanting to be of service and be helpful to others. And so for me, it's learning a lot of times to say, no, I can't help another today because I need to focus on my own well-being, my own family, and the things that are most important to me. So I don't know that I have terrible loneliness the way some people do. I love that you brought that up because I think sometimes people say, you're always pouring out to people, you're pouring out to people. And I go, I know, but I love that you said that dialogical. But when I'm pouring out and and people are coming back to me, that feeds me. And if that's your gifting, helping other people unpack truth or being available, if that's your spiritual gifting, pouring out into other people actually like us. You know what I'm saying? Because now if it's not your gifting zone, yes, it will deplete you and you'll be like, I just, I got to get away from it. But I think it's interesting that sometimes entrepreneurs, we get, you're going to, you're just doing too much. And I'm like, don't ever say that to somebody that's really, truly in their zone, because that's their, that'd be like telling my father, you can't go hug more people or only sleep four hours. Get it because that was his life force. And it's very interesting that you said that, but for a lot of people, you really have to watch the loneliness because it hits. But for us, ministering to others' loneliness will prevent our own loneliness. And that's a beautiful way you said it, Darren. I'm a strategic arranger grounded in deep devotion to Christ. In other words, in any given situation, I'll look at all the the problems, the, the connections, and I'll begin to strategically arrange inside of any given conversation, like how can I bring my best self to this conversation? to Mm -hmm. this dialogue. And then, like I said, as a dialogical person, which many of us are, perhaps you are as well, we begin to learn about ourselves. We begin to get more and more clarity on who we are, why we exist, what our purpose is. And we're in that zone. It's so fulfilling that it's the flow state of human development. And that's why I surround myself with people that are way smarter than I am, way more gifted than I am. And then I just try to be there to soak it up and understand. I had one of those this morning with my longest term mentor early this morning before this project with you. I spent an hour and a half with him this morning and I do that every three or four weeks just to vent what it is, all the things that I'm, the complexities of the things that I'm working on. Not so much that he'll solve my problems or with his labor, his influence, his finances, or his expertise. That's the the life model that I follow. And I'm not there so much for him to bring finance to my projects. I want him to bring his whole life so that he can bring not his labor like work It's his expertise that I want. It's his ability to help almost serve as my individual board of directors to help me to stay on point so that I can do what matters most first. Do the things that really matter, keep a pace, and be at peace while I'm doing those things. And it's a pretty good way to live a life, I suspect. Absolutely. That's wonderful. Now, next we talked about, he talked about weariness. And my father said, in life, you're going to have some people that are always doing way more than uh, what's required, a lot less. Some do less. Our bodies are all going back to the earth from whence we came. Our spirits live forever. Our souls do, but we still have to, the body's a temple and we want to finish the race strong. So how do you combat? Leadership has a very physical element too. And you of all people being in sports, Everything's in the spiritual realm, but we still are walking around in the human form right now. I get filled up by being with people. It's the exact opposite of my wifey. 
who is depleted uh, by that. And so I say that to say that it's enlightened me to, to understand who people are and what it is that they need. But the way that I combat weariness in some ways is to surround myself and to talk to each day the people that I care about, the, the ones that get me, that understand this extroverted leader, highly passionate, that constantly loves to arrange things for the accomplishment of kingdom purpose. So I do that with people. There are many people like my wife that need to withdraw from people in order to solve for their weariness. And so I rest with her, right? She's my sounding board. She is my everything, my 29-year-old bride that I met when she was 12 years old at the Fountain Blue Hotel because I had ridden my bicycle from Anderson, Indiana, at 15 years of age, to Miami Beach, Florida, and I met her there. Now, that's a crazy story, and it's all true. And in that, when we began to date and then ultimately were married 29 years ago with four children and all the things that really fill us up, those are the things that are so purposeful, so meaningful, so valuable that they lie beyond the mundane, the family, the things that all of your listeners are committed to, being better fathers, being better mothers, and more committed to their kids and their grandkids for the sake of seven generations from now, for the sake of people that can think about their children's 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 children. And when you begin to think like that, like how do I leave a legacy that that is meaningful and true of my values, then I think keeps me on point, helps me not to grow weary, and just to continue to pursue those things each and every day. How do you do it, Dr. Tracy? How do you not grow weary? A lot of it is physicality. I reclaimed my health about five years ago. I talk extensively on the podcast with that. I really dialed in my spiritual walk to. I was, I got saved when I was young, but I didn't have a relationship, a deep relationship with Christ. So realizing that the Holy Spirit was in there all along, waiting to be my greatest advocate of all, and just really as a leader, leader, realizing you can't get it right without the right people, the right partners, my Peter, James, and John, my inner circle. So really that's, and my spouse, he's the exact opposite of me, but, but like you said, he is I use my everything and just having that one to go to. So it is, it's the whole body. It's the mind, body, soul, reading great books. Whenever I feel like I'm going to suck my thumb or want to throw in the towel, I realize I haven't been in the word, in good books, hanging out with tremendous people, walking my dogs enough. And then I get back on it, dog on it. And it happens. It does. We would be remiss if we didn't bring forward the scripture, Matthew 11, about this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, because I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Now, that's the new living translation, and uh, but all of us have this sense that it's almost like we hear those words, the burden is easy, yoke is light, and we go, yeah, but that's for other people. Like, my burden is heavy. I've got to carry all right. this. I've got to do all the changing. For me, the principle from sport, what I've learned from the world of sport, that's very transferable back here, we call a, a audience of one. Uh, when you serve an audience of one, 
Ultimately, the audience of one, God, is responsible for the results. I'm just going to go play my hardest. I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to stay committed, be the best father I can be within the confines of of the energy that God gives me that day and the the appointments and the passion and all of that. Uh, But in reality, I'm not responsible to save the world. It's not I'm responsible to do the work and let the results fall into place, right? Tony Dungy says, you don't win on emotion, right? You win on execution. What did you do, Darren, with the gifts and abilities that I gave you? And you got those. So how you use those, that's, I believe, what defines a life. And not that I won't be emotional from time to time and live in that passion and emotion, but the way that we ultimately win, which is not about ultimately just, it's about sacrifice. It's about significance. It's about things that lie beyond success. And so that's a little bit about my story. You said that with your wife and your kids and the generations, you said it lies behind beyond. Everybody thinks when they're younger, it's fortune and family, probably with the sports people, it's wins, it's rings. We're talking eternity. And when you touched on it, why I was feeling depleted and why most people fear weary is they don't understand their father. They don't know their father. Now you help people deal with an absence of an earthly father. And I had, I was blessed with an unbelievable earthly father, but I didn't know my heavenly father. And when you read that Matthew 11, if you don't know God intimately, you hear those words, but you don't know it. So the more you study the word, and then I understood, why would I worry? I worried before because I didn't understand the character of God. And until I understand the character of God and know it beyond a shadow of a doubt, then I started realizing I'm basically reading the Bible, but I'm not even accepting it because I don't understand who God is. And I think that's where a lot of Christians where we falter because we don't understand if you really understood, if just for one second, we could be like Paul and just go see <laughs> what is the beyond before we get to heaven. By Dr. Tracy, right? I think about that. That's that why moment, he wrote what, to the New what Testament. What was that moment like when he was blinded right. by the radiance of Christ? He can't even talk turned, about it. And right. he turned from his old ways. Hey, I killed Jews. I am opposed to all things Jewish, and now he receives that indwelling and then continues to live the rest of his life to be the most prolific Christian author in the history of the world. Okay. Because he didn't know, I think for all the leaders out there, when you truly understand, and you know what, like you said, the legacy is the most important thing that God will look to us. He's a jealous God. And the reason we're here on earth, he'd much rather have us in heaven right now because he loves us so much. But all he wants to know is that in every day down here, we are developing a deeper, falling deeper in love with him. That's what I want on my report card when I get to heaven. And however that's manifested, but then when people see that, because like you said, everybody has that hole, even famous NFL sports people, them especially, I can't imagine that world and the pressures and the higher up they get with. And surely they look at it and say, but all this could be over in an instant. They, mm-hmm. We see it, but we don't have as much to lose. They truly see it. And to orient them there into that it must just be such a joy. Yeah, we are very privileged and so sheltered from our physicality. In other words, our ankle, our knee, our hands, heads with the concussion and all of the head trauma, chronic encephalitis that my peers in and around have to face. It's just, it's part of the job. And they do have 
wonderful abundance financially, most of them. And so we're not going to let them off the hook. They still need to do what it is that they need to do to claim a relationship with Christ to get their academic, athletic, social, and spiritual dimensions in line. Do they have the playbook? There's the academic. Do they have the social? Are they grafted into the team? Do they know their role, when to speak, when not to speak? Uh, athletic, are they got to be great. They got to have the physical and then the spiritual dimensions. And when you put all that together, this is what Tony taught me, Tony Dungy taught me years ago and what I write about in my book, The Jersey Effect, about his world championship season. And it's the guys that are chasing after all four of those dimensions and want to get a little better each day in each of those four. Those are the ones that are most well-adjusted, and there are many of them in and around the league. Now, certainly we hear about some of the people that are having trouble, right. but right, that trouble is not a sign, right, whether it be mental or otherwise, it's just a sign that they need somebody to come alongside them and be their guide. And that's what I'm privileged to be able to do. And perhaps we're doing a little bit today through this session with your listeners that are all wrestling too with the, how do I live a life of significance? How do I live a life that's less lonely, more committed to be the best version of myself? And hopefully if we can do that a little bit today, we'll get a little better in the process too. What Tony Dungy was talking to you about, what you shared, there was a book I read when I was a teenager, my father gave me and republished it. I just recorded it on an audiobook, as a matter of fact, this week, how providential, called I Dare You by Stephen Danforth. He was the president of the Boys and Girls Club. And he had youth camps. This is back after the Second World War, but he's, it's a four square life that your checker, the physical, the mental, the creative, which is your followership, your charismatic personality, and your spiritual. And you must have all four areas to live a successful life, to live a solid, to live a grounded life. And too many f- people focus on one. And so that's where they get that character malformation or the square collapses because one of the legs, and he hits all of them from posture to breathing air. It's really old school. Old school is best. So I love that you're really still living that. That's the basics, the four tenets, because we are body, spirit, mind, and soul. So you better be taking care of all four of them. All right. So loneliness, we talked about weariness. Charles talked about abandonment, not like in a fear of abandonment, or if you're in pet rescue like me, abandoning an animal. But he says, you know, we need to abandon what we like to do and want to do in favor of what we ought to do and need to do. So he really honed on because he always told me in any, he's like, I'm always surprised I'm even successful because in any given day, I do more to contribute to my failure than my success. And I'm like, really? You look pretty successful to me. But he's being very honest with himself and allowing the Lord to say, you know what, Charles, this isn't the highest and best use of your time. You need to stop dodging this phone call. You need to stop kicking this can down the road. I've called you to do this, make that call. So it's very much abandonment is very much like a hyper focus or an intentionality because nothing is guaranteed. So can you unpack that for us, Darren, how you really stay with a sense of urgency and a sense of focus? Yeah, ought, can, will. I ought to do it. I can do it, but will I do it? And what will I do today? What shall I do that will make a measurable difference? And I keep a a a chart that people won't see, but this, this chart, each one of these represents a relationship that I'm connecting with this very week. So about 50 people that I need to have form of contact with. People might call it customer relationship management. And I do use some of those tools, but from a practical sense, how will I connect with this person today? 
What will I share with them that will guide them toward the outcomes that I'm seeking to create in the cases of the campaigns that I'm a steward of, the events that I produce, and then at a national and a local level, the the He Gets His campaign? And how can I draw people close to that? How can they help support that with their labor, their influence, their finance, and their expertise bring their life to the project. As I think about it, I try to just be in the will as much as I can. And sometimes that means I will say no. I will say, no, this is out of scope. This doesn't fit for me. And as much as I'd like to help you, let me get you to somebody that might even be of better service, uh, that might be more uniquely equipped to handle so that I can stay on task with the big things, the big rocks that I seek to move in any given week. And uh, so that's how I just try to stay disciplined. And then when I say my yes means yes, when I commit to things, just as our time here today. It is so important for our listeners out there, writing the stuff down, plotting it out, because otherwise we, we get hit with a million things. Darren, I can't imagine how many things come your way. And you were sharing with me a little bit earlier about a funeral you recently did and some of the thoughts from that. Would you unpack some of that with our listeners? Yeah, guys, really tragic situation. Two weeks ago, I learned that my two sons, Evan, Uh, my 25-year-old, and Prince, uh, Michael Majestic Johnson, a young homeless young man that we brought into our lives in fourth grade that's now a college graduate and is a gainfully employed young man, well, their childhood friend who slept in my home, I suspect in prepping for this, uh, that I I suspect he slept in my home over a hundred times. His name was Aiden. He's a real, he's no longer alive, but Aiden in a domestic violence incident was killed a couple of weeks ago. Tragic. But it wasn't just some other man out there. It wasn't a statistic far from me. It was like, no, this, I've got this kid's number in my phone. He played on the high school football team that I was the chaplain of. I fed him, took out my wallet. I cared for him in countless places because when, Uh, When we were the closest is when I was helping to guide the National Fatherhood Movement, all pro-dad. And we were doing mass mentoring projects all over America, leading stadium events and resourcing countless fathers. And so that's all relevant to this story. And I had been with him in all these places, enriching and in many ways, being a, a father figure to this young man. He made some really bad decisions. And it led to ultimately to his death. And because of that, the only hope we have is in Christ. And yet in the midst of that, a lot of people are hurting, feeling far from God. And as my two sons, uh, Prince and Evan, spoke at the funeral, and then I tried to make sense of all of that, right, in a broader eulogy, I found myself just really sad that it could come to this, that there could be this kind of tragedy could impact my family, my community, and it's just really hard. So I found myself reflecting on that on the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And the pale of that leading up, the days leading up to Thanksgiving were really difficult. And so I just called my own pastor and said, hey, I need to sit. I need to talk. I need to get clear on how it is that I address this. And it wasn't easy. And it it angers me too that this could even happen in the world that we live in. But there's a lot of people that are lonely, angry, depressed, far from God, having relational challenges. Clearly, that was the case 
inside of this situation. And tragedies will befall us. How we respond to that tragedy, I think, really defines the character of who we are. So just trying to point people toward Jesus and invite people to know him and rest in him, even when bad things happen to good people. So that's the messy little truth of a sports minister speaking inside of a funeral a couple of days ago. And you really hear a lot of us, and we sometimes get hung up as Christians about so bad and how could this happen? Yeah, since the fall of man, and it's going to get worse. So I love that you talked about that. We can touch on it and we feel it. Christ grieved. He was a man of sorrows. Deal with it, but realize Yes. This is the best we're going to have right now, but this is the worst we're going to have right now. And we have to get people focused and oriented towards that because I think part of it is abandoning the, how how could this, on our community, boy, it can happen in any community. You have to process it as you did. But I think that's wonderful that then you orient back to, but that's not where our hope is. Our hope isn't in the communities. No matter how much we try and clean them up and we're, and we're here to do that, that won't happen until it's over. You know what I'm saying? All right. So loneliness, weariness, we did abandonment. And Darren, the last thing is vision. And I can remember I, I would sit as a kid and listen to people like Ogmandino and Zig Ziglar and Norman Vincent Peale. And I'm like, man, these guys are so smart. They must have a chip in their brain that makes them these visionary types. And I hear the Bible verse about where there is no vision, the people perish. And I'm like, so what is this thing? Are you born with it or whatever? And my dad's Tracy, vision is really seeing what needs to be done and doing it. And I'm like, okay, that's much more practical. I can get my teeth on that. But how do you, Darren, with the different groups that you're in or starting, how do you uh, hone your vision, your values, decide what to work with and uh, decide what's next for you in your life? Because I know you have so much more to pour out. Trying to be clear on who I am, what I stand for, how I will communicate that in my in the small daily things that I do, but also in the projects that I align myself with. This is yes. all about trust. And those of us that are trustworthy people operating in a world where trust is e- so easily lost, so hard to gain, so easy to lose, how shall we conduct ourselves? What projects shall we put forward in public ways? Mm-hmm. And what what is better kept private? What is better? What are the things that happen inside the confines of the uh, the locker room or the chapel services that will never hit the light of day ever? And yet they matter a whole lot because of the small things that make a big difference. And so discerning constantly which ones need to stay hyper private and then which ones we can elevate into the nation's consciousness, like the He Gets Us campaign to say, you know what? Let's all come back a little closer to Jesus right now. How can we attend to those things that really matter? And that's love and kindness and caring for our neighbor, even when it's uncomfortable to do so. My vision is imperfect, but understanding that it's set from a biblical framework, a biblical worldview to the extent that I can, and then staying focused on who Jesus is really is today in my life. I love I love that you talked about the small things too, because again, vision has this, the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal. Vision, uh, I remember when I was in the military, one of my favorite quotes, Patton, if you can't get them to salute when you tell them to salute or wear the clothes you tell them to wear, how are you going to get them to die for their country? So I love that you talked about vision is the small things. Your big vision is built on your little small things. And for a lot of the entrepreneurs out there who are partnering or doing different things with other people, I love that you talked about projects that align who you're going to align yourself with. 
and to mm-hmm. make sure that they are back to your core values and convictions, because there's a lot of things that look good, but if they're one degree off, it, not, that's bad. That's not going to end well. Building on the small things, one of the greatest coaches of all time in the NFL, his name was Chuck Knoll. Chuck Knoll was the coach that took Tony Dungy under his wing mm-hmm. and that ultimately Tony became the defensive coordinator for, which Tony's higher calling was not to, so much to play pro football, which he did for four seasons, it was the coach, right? Yes. And he on and now broadcast and influenced the world through his just winsome way and his uh, gentleness uh, of spirit and his ability to articulate things about football, but point people toward Christ. Uh, Chuck's quote, uh, which I think we need to reflect upon uh, more often in our society, is that essentially extraordinary leaders, which he called champions, so I'm going to bring tremendous leaders and champions, he'd say, tremendous leaders aren't tremendous leaders because they do extraordinary things all the time. They're tremendous because they're willing to do the ordinary things better than anyone else. They're willing to understand what plays they're supposed to run, what their part in the play is, when you block, when you run, when you pass. And as Chuck laid that forth, think about being, Tony's talked about, I was in rookie training camp, I'm there, and Chuck lays that down And here I was, this is Tony Dungy going on to do amazing things in the world, right? But would say, and he was telling me that I needed not to worry so much about the extraordinary, but to focus on what my role in the ordinary was. And you just go, gosh, that'll preach right in my own life every single day, how I prepare for meetings, how I get clear about what it is that I should bring forward in any given conversation to reflect the love of Christ, even when it's uncomfortable to do so. That's what I'll do today in the midst of this important conversation about leadership and what it takes to be a real champion. Thank you for sharing that quote. That is just absolutely beautiful and biblical. So Darren, we talked about loneliness, weariness, abandonment, and vision. Anything else that you would like to share with our listeners on the topic of leadership that we haven't really touched on yet? For a number of years, I served as the president of the Center for Serving Leadership. And we use, you hear the word servant leadership. In fact, the Greenleaf Center for Servant Leadership was founded in Indianapolis, which is the the city that I live in. And so had a unique vantage point for that system. But myself and and many other leaders, uh, because I stand on the shoulders of so many, Dr. John Stallworth was the the seminal leader that I worked with. He's out of Pittsburgh. But John pioneered uh, a simple book, that was essentially parabolic in nature. It was a modern day parable about a really busy dad who was an amazing leader, a consultant to titans of commerce, but he left his son behind in the journey. Like the son that was, daddy, I need your help. And and But son, right? It's sort of cats in the cradle kind of a book. It's called The Serving Leader. It's wonderful. It's one of the, it, it's a tremendous read and influenced my life greatly. But I found myself serving with John and being a proponent of this system, which was present tense. So servant leadership, servant becomes an adjective. In the case of serving, like it's serving, it's right now. It's how shall I serve you today, Dr. Tracy, so that you might be a little better so that 
that I might be so that your listeners might be. And what we began to build upon is sometimes it takes an upside down pyramid. It's not the achievement all the way up to some high success. It's turning that upside down and knowing that we can serve the many. But before we serve the many, we first have to serve the few. And who will we serve today? The little things, right? And so Dr. John began teaching me and and uh, as I learned from about how to be a great decision maker, about how to upend that pyramid and focus on those little things that would ultimately lead to this big kingdom vision of bringing people together, creating community, and then helping people find their place that they can believe and belong place that they feel a place of belonging. They can believe in something beyond themselves. And in so doing, they can ultimately become the best version of themselves, which I hope is a Jesus follower. I hope to see them in heaven and be inside that mansion one day with all those that I've encountered. But the truth is, I won't know the tens of thousands of people, perhaps many times more that I've encountered in all of the media work that I've done. And yet, I stand undeterred. I'll continue on. Fight the good fight, right? The starfish that we're going to talk, but I saved that one today, the few. So today we are that cauldron called together to consider how we might get better, how we might put our feet to the fire a little bit, ask hard questions, think about things of significance in this conversation. And my hope is that this touches someone inside your network and ecosystem, and they can learn more about me, Darren Gray 2020, D-A-I-I-N, G-R-A-Y-2-0-2-0. You can find me in LinkedIn, in Meta, Instagram, Facebook. But I would say if you want to follow along, join that journey. Hey, that helps me and ultimately allows me to encounter your listeners in a digital world. But if somebody wants to have a deeper conversation, the four things that that really drive my day-to-day business practice, which are the things that I have to do to put bread on the table and to do the things that matter. I produce three events as I hold up four fingers, three events that I help to co-produce and do sponsorship development for. That's the Super Bowl Breakfast. You can learn more at superbowlbreakfast.com. If anybody's coming to the Super Bowl on the Saturday before the Super Bowl, the single greatest event for Christ of Super Bowl weekend, one of only five NFL sanctioned events. There's a lot, there's hundreds of events that will be happening in Las Vegas this year, New Orleans the next year, San Francisco the following year, because I'm always working three years out with the work that I do in and around the Super Bowl. But that NFL sanctioned event is is truly remarkable. We're the real good guys of the faith will come forward. Mike Singletary, Anthony Munoz, the greatest lineman of all time, Tony Dungy, and we'll give away the Bart Starr Award, which is a very significant award for character and leadership. And so we're blessed to do that. That's one thing. I need sponsors, ticket buyers, and participants at that program. Simple to find that. The next is called the NBA All-Star Breakfast. So just allstarbreakfast.com. That happens the very following weekend in Indianapolis at the NBA All-Star Weekend, where we do the exact same thing, scaled for the NBA. And then a few weeks later, we do that at the NCAA All-Star Weekend, and we call that one Wood Keys to Life, K-E-Y-S, 
T-O-L-I-F-E dot U-S. But if you Google that, you'll find it. And it's literally a who's who of college coaches across America. Because one thing is true. Almost every college basketball coach in America goes to the NCAA Final Four weekend, whether their teams are playing or not. And so we do ministry in and around that space to make sure that they are resourced properly so they can bring back into their own teams, right, the academic, athletic, social, and spiritual tools that they need to help their teams to grow. So all three of those, we are actively seeking sponsors that want to affiliate themselves with these amazing NFL sanctioned and NBA strategies and NCAA strategies. That's a big deal. And uh, that's something that your listeners might be called to. And if they are, then please connect with me. And I'd love to tell them more about that. But my main thing is called the He Gets Us campaign. And I'll bet there's a significant number of your listeners, about 70% of them, uh, that have encountered that campaign either through our Super Bowl ads, through our Maui Classic ads, all the things that we're doing with our very large-scale campaign for Christ. In fact, it's the most ambitious campaign for the sake of Christ in the history of the postmodern world. Now, think about that. I I love what Billy Graham did. And at the time, he did it stadium by stadium. And there was some newspaper advertising, and it reached hundreds of thousands, perhaps even millions of people. This particular campaign is reaching hundreds of millions of people. We're so grateful to be able to push it forward. And then in cities across America, Indianapolis, Memphis, Seattle, Kansas City, Nashville, we're beginning to build out city-based strategies where local leaders can get involved in advisory teams and then help us with their labor, their influence, their finance, and their expertise to help us build a network of churches so strong that they can receive what we call the explorers. These are the spiritually open skeptics that encounter the communications campaigns that then we draw into a digital conversation and then invite them to join us for prayer, for church, or for conversation. And that any all, every one of your listeners can apply that th- those that are Jesus followers and that meet some very basic criteria can apply to become a receiver of explorers. And you can re- literally receive those folks in, in your town by zip code in the zip code where you are. Uh, because by the hundreds of thousands, they're coming to us each month because they're encountering this amazing campaign. Yeah. He gets us. And then they come in the digital uh, ecosystem. I want to learn more about Jesus. I need to have a conversation all the way down to our death to life strategy, which is our suicidal ideation and prevention strategy. There's a lot of people that are hurting so much that They're thinking about taking their own life. They just Mm -hmm. don't see the point of going on. And so we connect them immediately. In less than two minutes, they're connected to a very specific strategy with a real human being that will communicate with them and try to talk them off of whatever ledge they're on. And, And then the other ones are less urgent, then we route it to the local church. But when the urgency is high because folks are are prone sometimes to bad decision-making when they're depressed, lonely, weary, upset, all the things that we talked about at the start of the meeting. Uh, Some folks don't have the resilience to know what to do, but they're coming to the He Gets His campaign in droves. And then we're building a network that's so strong and durable. Thousands of local churches have already signed up. 
every single one of your listeners can get their church signed up for it. It doesn't cost anything. We will scholarship your ch- all the churches that your listeners and, and viewers represent, and all they need to do is log on to hegetsus.com, okay. and they'll be able to get their churches signed up, onboarded to receive the Explorers. So those are the four things I care about. Those are the things that I I care about a lot more than those things, but that's my job. That's how it is that I build the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, and then find a way to find men and women that want to give, want to connect, and ultimately be a part of the greatest story in the history of the world. And that's Jesus's story. That's quite the love story. I got a lot of good love story. And thank you. Thank you, Dan, because a lot of my listeners, too, they're at a place where, hey, how can I, you can go on boards and different stuff like that, but how can I serve in a capacity? So we will have for our listeners out there all these links to all the different things that Darren's involved. And thank you for coalescing it all down to identify specifically how we can connect with you, but how we can help you, brother, because you've been such a tremendous resource for us and just a tremendous resource to so many. Darren, thank you so much for everything that you have shared with us on what it takes to pay the price of leadership. I know you have greatly blessed our listeners. It's been my privilege to be with you, Dr. Tracy. Thanks for the work you're doing to improve the lives of all those you encounter. God bless you. And that's it for now. I love it. And to our listeners out there, thank you so much for paying the price of leadership. And never forget, you'll be the same person that you are five years from now that you are today except for two things, the people you meet and the books you read. So make them both tremendous. If you like what you heard, please be sure and hit the subscribe button. If you do us the honor of a five-star review, that would be beyond tremendous. And please share this with somebody out there that is looking for something or that wants to just grow in leadership fellowship and connect with tremendous people like Darren and the work that he's doing. So to our tremendous tribe out there, thank you for paying the tremendous price of leadership. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.